Boom! Amy, I'm Dr. Trites, and great health does not have to be a mission possible. And uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. The next two podcasts that are be on here will be about brain function. Now, we could all use a little bit more brain power, whether it's to uh, remember things. Uh, where's my keys? Where's my wallet? <laughs> or how about um, your work? If you can be more organized and thinking ahead, uh, how does that work for you? If you can uh, teach your children um, better or recall things, what, let's say you're a grandparent and you still have you know, adult children, 30s and 40s, and maybe they don't know how to... Uh, invest or run a will or, or the things that you've learned across your life that you don't expect, let's say, a 20 or 30-year-old to know. And you need to be able to articulate and to explain that to them. And so this is where I'm going with this. So uh, there'll be some topics uh, that I want to go into. And number one, I want you to understand how your brain functions. Number two, I want you to understand how you can make it work better. And there are foods that can affect that or how your metabolism works, such as blood sugar, oxygen content, blood supply, and what the effects of sleep, too much stress, or things that are like anemia uh, can affect you. And then here's a big thing that really is out there, how your gut affects your brain and what inflammation does to your brain. So those are the highlights that I want to get into um, as we get going here. So uh, again, this is not some sort of course or anything like that. It's just, let's get rolling with it. So here's the thing. At, at 14 months old, that's when your brain has the most neurons. The neurons are nerve cells. But if you look at it, let's say under a microscope, and this is the way I explain it in the office, it looks like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. You've got one branch with one Christmas ornament. It's not connected. So what we want to see is a very thick bush that has a lot of connections. So at 14, mo- or 14 months old, you have the most neurons, and they're going to die over time, but it's the connections that go there. So for instance, a 14-year-old has the most amount of neurons, but if I throw a, a, a fastball at them, it hits them right in the chest, hopefully not in the face, they can't catch it. Why? Because they don't have the neuro connections to make that happen. Now, as we age, there are certain things that we stop doing. So let's say you were not good at math. Do you think you're going to do it as an adult? The answer is no. Uh, or if you weren't good at English, I'm not. Uh, do you think you're going to do it as an adult? No. And then I start writing books. And then I find out that it's really bad, so I have to get help. But that's really how it goes. And so those parts of your brain that are important for, let's say, motion, let's say balance, let's say digestion, let's say math, let's say science, let's say paint, let's say music, there are all these different parts that you were maybe not good at and you don't use. Well, guess what degenerates first and it slows down. So degeneration were happening at 14 months. Why? Because we don't have any of those connections and the things that we don't develop will degenerate. It's sort of like a muscle. If you choose not to work out, guess what? Your muscles are going to atrophy. They just don't go. So we want you to not be fatigued. We want you to be able to do things better as you age. Uh, we want you to have balance because you can lead to, um, you know, falls and other injuries. And when you have these things, and let's say you're listening to me and you're under the age of 30 and you're in sports, you're going to be better at sports when you start to do some of these brain uh, exercises. And we want to get you to your peak function. You know, where were you at? So some people come in and go, I, know, I really was on to my game in my 20s and 30s, um, another 40 or 50, and I just have really slowed down. Okay, well, how much how much have you slowed down? Has it been over the past 10 years? Has it been over the past 10 days or 10 months? That degeneration kind of tells us what the speed of what degeneration is happening. 
And then we want to know, well, how does that fluctuate throughout the day? Do you uh, wake up and everything's fine and then it fatigues or you get tired and you forget things during the day? Do you wake up tired and you can't really remember anything? And um, this is why we did chronic fatigue first before I get to brain because we want to fix the metabolic rate of how you you work. So as the brain's declining, is it going over time? So if I have somebody comes in my office and, and let's say they're stage two, Alzheimer's, okay, and you're 80. When you were first diagnosed? When I was 60. Okay. And where are you at now? Okay. 25 years to get there. Now that another person comes in and they're 60 and they're diagnosed with, let's say, stage two, Alzheimer's. When you were first diagnosed? Two months ago. When did you first start in noticing any symptoms? Six months ago. Okay. That's a very uh, more severe condition. So we have to also look at the time that it took for you to get to where you're starting to notice that there are other issues, whether that's a lack of memory or lack of concentration, whether you notice that your balance isn't right. Uh, it could be digestion. Keep in mind, your nervous system runs your digestion. So people are like, oh, now I bloat. I can't eat this and I can't eat that. That's generally degeneration and it's a brain-gut axis. And the gut has its own nervous system called the enteric nervous system, which we've covered and we're going to cover even more when I get to um, digestive system and food sensitivities and food allergies. And then there could be other things that you, hey, every time I read a book, I just ugh, I want to lay down. Uh, every time I get home from work, I just, I just want to lay down. I, I used to be able to want to do this. I don't want to do that. There are different parts of the brain that, that lead to other conditions. Well, guess what we have to do? We have to work those parts of the brain. But before we get there, we have to make sure that you don't have a metabolic issue. Do you have diabetes? Do you have a blood sugar too high or too low? Diabetes is usually high. There's hypoglycemia that's too low. And so if you hop into those or you have this massive inflammatory response or an autoimmune condition and you hop in and start, I'm going to start learning the piano, um, and that might be good, but you have to limit the time that you do it. You might only be able to do it for a few minutes. If you th think you're going to sit down for an hour and go play the piano to develop a particular part of your brain and you have an inflammatory condition, a blood sugar condition, an anemic condition, there's no nutrition going to your brain so it has to fire without it's sort of like um there's a difference between aerobic and anaerobic i can run forever aerobically but i cannot run forever anaerobically it can only run down the street because that's sprinting it uses a different system so if you don't have enough fuel to your brain and you try to go do something else and you do it too long you're essentially in an anaerobic system which unfortunately kills more brain cells so you actually accelerate your degeneration so we like to run tests to make sure that you're ready to go for that. We know what you have to do, but we want to make sure you're ready to go for that. There could be other issues. You might be sitting there going, uh, I don't know what words. Uh, you, you just like, I can't seem to find the words anymore. Or, um, you know, when I drive at night, it, it's really getting difficult. Or when I drive down the, the road, I get a headache or get dizzy. Um, I used to be able to do really good calculations, but now I can't do any of those at all. Um, these are all signs of degeneration. But again, we all have it. But what degree of it and where is it? And so... Some people don't know that neurodegeneration actually has disease form. So there are such a things called dementia or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. And so that's a further along degree of degeneration. Keep in mind, we're always degenerating, but how do we make neuroconnects is the big deal of how you function. How about do you have any neurodegenerative diseases in your family? So if you have that in your family, the research is showing that your risk goes up 50%. What about Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's? Um, your risk is higher. So we really need to take a look at those. Uh, not only look at your genetics, but look at any metabolic things. I mean, if, if your mother was di diagnosed with Parkinson's and she's diabetic um, versus somebody was diagnosed with Parkinson's and they were exposed to carbon monoxide or somebody that had a, 
a series of traumatic brain injuries, whether it is, you know, a loud sound exploded next to them or they rolled their car multiple times. Those are other ways to get Parkinson's because there's an injury to the brain. And the difference between, let's say, one car driver that has Parkinson's and the other car driver that's had the same amount of concussions and doesn't is a, a, a gene that helps the brain recover called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And it works better when your blood sugar is right. It works better when your blood supply is right. It works better if there's no anemia. It works better if there's no inflammation. So you can have the BDNF and still have all the other things going on and, and have an issue. And then we have to go, well, is there any noticeable changes or differences in your brain function? So if you start an exercise program, do you feel better? Do you eat better? Do you have more focus or concentration? Is there a supplement that you've ever tried? Have you tried fats, good fats? Um, they're usually in the fish oil category, but they're omega-3 fatty acids versus omega-3. Do you feel a difference? Because the brain made it, is made of fat. Or, you know, somebody might have their gallbladder removed and they can't digest fat. Well, then that starts to affect your brain function. Well, how do we address that? We have to see if there's something you can take, a supplement to help you digest your fat so that you can get fat into your body and help your brain. And sometimes it's just that, what if you're on an anti-cholesterol medication that eliminates your fat because the brain is made of fat, mostly cholesterol, and so the cholesterol is too low. Once your cholesterol gets below 150, your brain is like not firing right. And the reason is, is it's coated, every nerve is coated with this myelin sheath that's called a fat. And there's schwa nodes that go between them. And essentially the the impulse skips along these Schwann cells. It doesn't just go down like a normal electropulse. It, it just skips along the, these fat cells uh, because it's faster and it's more efficient. It takes less energy to do so. But let's say you have a cat or a dog in your home and they decide that you're going to chew on one of your cords. And as they're chewing on one of these cords, they expose the wire. It's no longer covered with a plastic, which is like a Schwann node. And when it gets exposed, it shorts. And so when you have these shorts, meaning you don't have enough fat that's covering these cells, you start to short out. Well, an, an example of short is brain fog. An example of short is anxiety. An example of multiple shorts is de um, uh, depression. Then you can get dementia. Then you can have a lack of digestion. Then you can have a lack of like brain fog and swelling and things that go with that. Um, then you have a lack of, I don't remember things the way I used to anymore. Uh, so the symptoms can go on and on and on. Those are the shorts. But if just for taking a anti-cholesterol medication, you can have all these other things happen. Or you can be dizzy all the time. Um, there, there are so many different things. And, and one of the things we do check in the office is what's called endurance. I uh, have you do a simple task, move your hands back and forth, touch your toes, um, touch your nose, and then we see what you do with it. Can you do it consistently? Can you do it at a normal speed? Or, you know, you may be doing it, but you should be touching your nose every second and it takes you five seconds to touch your nose. That's not very good endurance. Um, so there's there's fatigue. Well, what's causing your fatigue? Blood sugar, blood supply, anemia, inflammation. So that's why we run tests in our office is to find out well, where are you at at that? How about the ability to taste food? So most people notice that they're 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 salting more and more as they age. That's neurodegeneration. That's a that's a heads up, and that's not just COVID. And by the way, loss of smell was pre-COVID. Uh, there are a lot of people who lost their smell from the flu or a common cold, or they had a thiamine deficiency. It was there. It's it's not just COVID. So when we look at that, we look okay. That might be a bigger picture. So let's say somebody doesn't have their smell back after they've got a virus or cold. Well, what is it? It's most likely a thiamine deficiency, or there's a little bit to do with neurodegeneration. We have to go figure out what to go with that. So we then we have to run tests for inflammation, blood supply, uh, blood sugar, and vascular, so anemias. So those are the big things that, that go on just to get you an idea of what neurodegeneration is. It is the loss of neurons. We have that. 
you're going to have that. You can't really stop it, but you can slow it down. And how you slow it down is by making better connections. The thicker your bush is, think of your brain as a bush now. And the connects are very, very thick. And if I threw a baseball into that, it would just bounce off of it. That's what we want is all the connections. If it's just a 14-month-old child with one branch and one ornament, I'm going to throw that baseball right through that tree and multiple trees. It'll get it'll far into the brain. We don't want to do that. So um, again, more neurons as you're younger, less neurons as you get older, and you're going to degenerate, but you can make more connections. And so that's the whole point of why we do um, a right eye in our office is we want to see what's going on with it. That's the reason we do um, brain endurance exercises. That's the reason we do blood tests. We connect all of these together. <clears throat> Now, there are some patients that do come in and they're, they're diagnosed with whether it's dementia, Alzheimer's, or Parkinson's, and they do, like, Alzheimer's has seven stages. Um, by the way, when you're 14 months old, you're in stage one. You have no symptoms, uh, no decline of memory, no sense of direction, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Um, and you can recall things, but you're still in dementia stage one. Why? Because you're in neurodegeneration, because we know that at 14 months, you start to degenerate. And the things that you don't use, you lose. Um, and then... Generally, conservative care, I, I, we can do and slow things down and hopefully get in front of the train until you're about stage four. But once you're in stage five, six, or seven, there's not a lot conservative that you can do uh, that I'm aware of. Uh, there Maybe there's somebody that has created something else, but this is what I, I look at at the research. This is what I look at in the, um, our mentors and our researchers that bring this to our attention. So we have to be aware that there are certain cases that can go there, but uh, maybe there's a chance you can slow it down. But once that train's going, it's going. So that's, that's what we like to do is just to get in front of it the best we possibly can. And some of those we'll, we'll talk about as we, we go through this. All right. So just to highlight again, as you develop in life, you tend to gravitate, gravitate towards activities. So if, let's say, your parents love to run or play the piano, they might push you into that. But generally you start to do things that you like because it makes your brain happy. And you do that and you get more and more connections on that. So again, if you hated math, but you loved, um, let's say I, I played the trumpet. So I like to play the trumpet at one point in my life. And so I gravitated toward that and didn't focus as much in math. Um, that's okay. I, I, I did, I had a little bit of everything, which um, I guess we can call it like an eclectic brain where I wasn't super great in math and I wasn't super great in um you know, music, but I could, I could join a band and I could play. I could play the piano and I could play. I could get through math class, you know, maybe a high B, but I wasn't getting an A plus. So different parts of the brain I was lucky enough to develop that way, but some people just do one thing or the other. They don't focus on the other side of their very, very good artistically. And, you know, balancing a checkbook is never going to happen. <clears throat> so, that, that's that's why we typically evolve to what we're at. So let's say you're really good at numbers. You're probably going to end up in what you're good at. You might be an accountant or a banker. Um, and if you're really good in music, that's, again, not not your, your forte. So then you start to have a difference in your left and your right hemispheres because those are hemispheric, but there are different parts of the brain. The front of the brain is called the frontal lobe. Uh, the right behind that is it's called the sensory motor cortex. Everything that we sense, we touch things, we, it vibrates, it's cold, it's hot. It goes into the sensory side. The front part is the motor. So the motor part of the brain to move is in the front. So if somebody stops moving or they've hit their head, we start looking at the front part of the brain. If they can't feel anything or they have no feelings, maybe we look at the parietal side of it. And then, um, but that's, that's the parietal lobe. And then you have a temporal lobe, which is where you're hearing. And the back part of your brain is your occipital lobe, which you see. And then below is your cerebellum, which is really how everything 
gets coordinated. And then deep parts of the brain, which can be Parkinson's, and there's um, the red nucleus and uh, the basal ganglia. Those are different parts. I'm not going to get into the details of all of that. I just want you to know that when we're looking at somebody and you're not able to do this or this or this, it could be lifestyle. It could be how you, you did. But how do you reverse that? Because as you degenerate, and you will, and you are, we have to go do the things uh, in the nicest way that you suck at. Um, so that's typically where we start. So in the brain, a nerve is an all or none. It's either going to fire or it is not. And so in our office, we have this, um, this chart. It's called a resting membrane potential. And so if there's a little signal, your brain shouldn't do anything about it. If there's a moderate signal, your brain shouldn't do anything about it. If there's a pounding signal, your brain should say, okay, I'm listening. Let's, what's going on? That should be the all or none. And so when we're looking at somebody and we do their history and we do temperature gradients and can you hear this and can you feel this and can you balance this and can you see this, those are all brain tests. And then we run metabolic tests because if your blood sugar is not right, if your inflammation is not right, if you have anemia, if you have an autoimmune condition, if you have an environmental sensitivity, if you have an infection, um, they all affect the nervous system. And so no sound is no fire, but when you have inflammation, autoimmunity, they're firing or moderate they're firing and they're certainly firing when it's loud so understand that when you have somebody who has anxiety that means that their threshold is is already passed there's something that's creating this usually blood sugar first but there are other things that do that so everything irritates them everything overloads the system they have anxiety and if you've never had anxiety before and i had to had a, like a month of it one time because I was given the wrong stuff to take and oh boy um, that was rough. I really felt uh, it was a good experience for me to understand what of my patients come in with that do have that and how quickly I want to dampen that response so they ha don't have that because if I have a couple in my room and let's say it's a, a female has autoimmunity and the husband does not and there's a car that goes down the street. I usually ask him, did you hear that car? And the husband's like, no. Why? Because the cerebellum turned it off because we're talking about a certain topic. The person who has autoimmunity goes, yeah, I heard the car and it was this color. <laughs> you know, They caught all of it. Why? Because it fired. Uh, so neurons are all or none. But when you have a resting membrane potential that can't be held responsible, meaning the blood sugar is too high or too low, the inflammation is too high, they have anemia, they have a blood supply issue, cold hands and feet, thyroid issues, those kind of things. This is how we have to tie in when somebody has a leaky gut. This is how we have to tie in when somebody has a thyroid issue. This is how we have to tie in when somebody has diabetes or they say, I have all this joint pain, but yet I'm diabetic. Well, how are you going to heal? Poorly? Does any surgeon want to do stuff on a diabetic? No. Because they don't heal well. Why? Because the blood sugar is that important to the nervous system to tell it how to heal. So we have to be very careful and look at, well, how did you react in our office? Because let's say you circled everything that says all these things happen and then I run a test and you do it. High five. Um, so what you subjectively told me could potentially be there. And then objectively I tested it and it's not there. High five. Um, we know that what you're perceiving and what's happening is is not there, but then the other people might circle nothing's happening. And then we go test them in the office and nothing works. Uh, that's a whole lot worse because now they're not even perceiving what's going on. So we have a lot more work to go with us. So again, what you have to know with the nervous system, it is, is all or none. Um, and that's kind of a, con a hard concept that most doctors don't get. 
And so, oh, you have uh, anxiety here, take this. Oh, you have depression, okay, take this. Okay, your brain's not working, okay, take this. Um, you haven't solved the all or none principle, where does you go? And the, the nerve requires carbohydrates, fats, proteins, how you digest, and that can be the stomach, the gallbladder, the pancreas. And all this food fuel breaks down and becomes glucose, and gl glucose serves the neuron by way of the mitochondria that makes energy. And if you uh, need more about that, go to our chronic fatigue uh, podcast, and it makes something called ATP. This is energy, and it needs that to happen again and again and again so it can fire. But once the energy source runs out, it fires. It overfires. And when you overfire, that's your anxiety. That's your depression. That's your brain fog. That's your memory loss. Um, so... And what a neuron does not need, uh, of course, it needs stimulation. So if you're just going to sit around and do nothing, um, you're not you're not working your brain. So you do need to move, and you need to think, and you need to do calculations, uh, and you do need to do um, the other side of it. If you're just a mathematician, you need to do some art. You need to do the other part of your brain. But what the the brain doesn't need, and this is we talked about this in the previous podcast, is what's called stress in form of oxidative stress. This is when you rust. We do not like inflammation. We do not like to rust. So anything that creates a free radical, so let's say you go out and have a charred food, caramelized food, uh, a high f a sugar food um, after you know Christmas or the holidays, you're eating all kinds of junk food or you go out to a junk food place. These foods create oxidative stress, which then requires more energy because it creates inflammation, which requires more energy and so there's not enough food left around for the nerves to fire. So this is how somebody can eat something, for instance, that has a whole bunch of salt in it, or has MSG in it, or has aspartame in it, and it lights up the neurons. And so somebody can have a headache after MSG or um, having a diet drink because they have aspartame or a, or a derivative of it, and it lights up the brain the, the very similar pathway of cocaine and methamphetamine it overloads the brain. The brain is not ready. It, it doesn't have enough energy. It goes to the threshold, and now everything's firing for it, and now you have a headache. So there's there's a processes that go through there, and oxidative stress is, is part of it, and they create inflammation. So we don't like inflammation. It's a cause of every disease that's out there. If you open a pathology book, 5,000, 5,500 clinical diseases, and every single one of them has inflammation. So we want to we want to keep that out there because inflammation steals your energy. And especially when it comes to the brain, then you lose your ability to think and to function. So we like to have a, a very stable energy delivery system. And that's really where we start so much in the office is to getting there. So if you you know you're eating inflammatory foods and, hey, I eat this food and I get I get tired, I get fatigued, stop it. You're killing brain cells. That's that's what we have to understand. Or if somebody bloats and they have brain fog right after it, you're stop, you have to stop whatever that eating is because you're killing brain cells. So I'm, I'm trying to drive that home. We've all had that, or we've had something that made us, oh, I don't, my head doesn't feel good, or I'm, I'm just, I do not feel motivated today to do that. And you have to look back, what what happened? What happened? What did I eat? Where do I go? Um, you know, that's those are those are the big things. And, and of course, it can be even a little bit further. There are people who have electromagnetic issues that create inflammation. So every time they get around a certain light or the lights are too bright, it, it as it comes into them, they they have an effect. They have a trigger. They can have vertigo or dizziness. Uh, you can also have that with the foods. Or uh, you can have it with smells, and that's a loss of oral intolerance. I'm going to get into more detail on that. But every time that goes in, the barrier of your sinuses or your lungs are broken down. But you can have that because you have a gut issue. You could have that because you have a brain issue. You could have that because you had a, 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 
a concussion or traumatic brain injury, or somebody uh, says I get seasick all the time or car sickness all the time, well, that means there's not enough energy to the cerebellum. And why is that? Number one in the world is blood sugar. Number two in the world is cerebellar dysfunction, which is usually from gluten or a thyroid issue called uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Number three is alcohol. But that's why when police officers do a balance test or a sobriety test, they're checking the cerebellum. But you could have had a ton of sugar and been diabetic and a ton of gluten. So let's say you had a fast food and you're going to fail these tests because you have a blood-brain gut barrier. You have a leaky gut that's gone to your brain. So does that mean you're drunk? No. It just means that you're not passing that because you can't keep neurological endurance and therefore you're getting tired and falling down or getting uh, balances out of place. So bigger picture is I, I still want you to be conscious of your brain health. I want you to take control of it. And the decline of your brain is not related to aging alone. There are so many other things that go on there. So as we get older, we do have a greater potential for neuroplasticity. Isn't that cool? So what is the main process that goes through is what's your what's your diet and lifestyle choices? So if you go out to eat like all the time, it's a pretty good chance you're going to accelerate neurodegeneration and it's going to be harder to get neuroplasticity. And if I haven't defined that enough, neuroplasticity is the connects that you get that make that bush very, very thick. I want your brain to be a thick bush. Uh, we don't want it to be Charlie Brown's uh, Christmas tree. And as time goes on, just because it's time, your brain does start to atrophy. So these other concepts, these other ideas of what we do to keep it together are very important. So in clinically in our office, we use things like if it's inflamed, turmeric and resveratrol, mainly resveratrol for brain if it has to do with a little blood sugar, but there could be other blood sugar um, things that we use. Some people have hyperglycemia. We have to do different blood sugar. What if you're hyperglycemic? What if you're diabetic? We have to focus on products that, that break that down, whether it's alpha-lipoic acid or benfothiamine. Um, there are blood things sugar that things that we have on our website that, that break so that down. Greater but if it's a blood supply problem in some areas, areas make sure that, that and the less plasticity you have in another area, you'll have degeneration as pretty much what we've been talking about. So again, you're going to be a very gifted artist um, and you, you, you help the left side of their brain, but then you're not very good on your right side and, and, and vice versa. Sometimes you can have what's called the cerebellum, which is your balance and your break to your brain that don't, don't uh, integrate very well. And that can be what starts to degenerate. So throughout life, you have different areas of plasticity, what you're good at, what you make connections. And th while they still start to degenerate, the other parts of the brain that haven't developed the best are typically ones that show up first. So if you have symptoms of memory lapses or declining memory or declining sense of direction, I don't know where I'm going. These are early signs of dementia and they should be taken very seriously. So listen, if you have a family member and they can't find a direction. So in our office, if somebody has a hard time finding our office or they get there at two hours early or they're always late, they have something going on and generally it's a degeneration in certain parts of their brain. Uh, and so we, we want to watch those. Are they getting worse? You know, is it, is it always been the case or now they're, you know, they're getting, um, they, they used to show up. Grandparents are notorious for this. I'll be there at three, two o'clock they show up. Um, and if you're doing that, did you always do that? <laughs> and if you haven't, there's a reason that your, your brain is getting nervous. Okay, I need to leave. We need to be on time. We need to get there. And then you're super early. Um, that's 
a condition of degeneration. Or some people start to lose endurance and they can't hang out with friends. They can't go to a movie. They can't handle social interaction. Uh, let's say they go to church and the singing, the, the lights and the sounds irritate them and they want to stay home. They can't read for long periods of time. That means that your neurons don't have enough energy. They don't have enough sugar. They don't have enough oxygen. They don't have enough blood supply. Or they don't have enough activation, meaning you, you're not moving or, or doing other things. Or there's inflammation. They're all slowing that down. So Again, as the neurons become unhealthy, they start to fire. So as neurons become unhealthy, they begin to come closer to threshold, meaning they start to fire. This is why anxiety or lack of social desire increases as we age. Now, if you have this in a child or a teenager, you know, there is blood sugar dysglycemia ups and downs as we have hormone changes there is a lot in the world there's a lot of stimulation via electronic devices and all of these can add up to more anxiety but it's sustained anxiety all day long all weekend long with headaches it's just telling you that you're not getting enough metabolic improvement you're not getting enough inflammation down that you're not eating foods that aren't inflammatory that your blood sugar isn't correct that your blood supply isn't correct and so these are bigger issues for kids because it's going to be long-term. They won't be at the neuroplasticity that maybe you had, and now you're at this point because, you know, the years have gone by. But what are you going to do to handle it? So, again, as they become unhealthy, they fire more. And that's a big deal to understand. And what you have to realize is that there are certain things you can't tolerate anymore, whether it's going out in public, whether it's a smell. These stimuli you can't tolerate because the nerve is weakened. It fatigues out. Or maybe you can't handle sitting in the back of a, of a car. Or maybe you love roller coasters and now there's no way on earth you're going to get on them. Or you can't get on a plane because you get some, uh, seasickness. Or you don't watch action movies because it's too fast. Or sporting events because it, it, just, it just affects you. Those are signs of early neurodegeneration. Now, Parkinson's dementia, we have a device in our office called Right Eye because it can pick these up 20 years before. But... You have to have that test to have it run. And, and keep in mind, we're all, we're all neurodegenerating. It's just a matter of where and when and what can we do to protect it. So the, our goal in our office is to improve your brain health and improve how your body metabolizes. And this could mean uh, your environment. It could be your hormones. It could be your food. It could be the neurotransmitters you have that tell the neurons how to fire or to make hormones or how much blood sugar they have or how much inflammation you have. And all these are considered metabolic. And the goal to improve your brain health is to improve your metabolic rate and to have the proper stimulation so that you can get those connectivities that's called plasticity. All right, so these are some of the, the really key concepts that we get into of why we can't just go grab a supplement and or I'll just wait until I get older and I'll take a drug. That That's why they don't work that well because it's multifactorial. If you're taking, a, a, let's say, a medication or a drug and it only works on the oxygen content, where's your stimulation? Where's your blood sugar? Where's your blood supply? It's only, uh, or, or anemia. You can have all these different things that are going in there. Or you're not, okay, I'm, I'm getting now blood to my brain, but I'm doing nothing in that part of the brain to make a connection. How long is it going to work? You're going to feel better for two to three weeks. That's why people, when they take a supplement that's different for them, they feel better for two to three weeks. So in our office, we have... Uh, assessment forms with permission from the Crossing Institute that we look at different parts of your brain like there's different hemispheres that could be uh, affected so um, Alzheimer's typically follows a uh, frontal lobe, parietal lobe, uh, medial temporal lobe, sorry, uh, frontal lobe, medial temporal lobe 
uh, pattern. And we take a look at the, well, do you have every single symptom in there? Yes, no. Uh, where does the basal ganglia come up? There are two different parts, indirect and direct for Parkinson's. Have you circled everything, that single thing on there? Um, and then we have what's called a brain functional assessment form. And we're looking at brain endurance or early symptom signs of Parkinson's or dementia or with the temporal lobe or the occipital lobe is not working. And the frontal cortex, which is um, your detailed hand coordination or making decisions or you know socially inappropriate. So I had a, um, an aunt that I'm 14 years old walking through the house. Uh, it was like Thanksgiving and and um, she was quite a bit older in her mid-70s, 14 years old. Uh, who doesn't have any acting? And she literally out in front of everybody, in front of the whole family, said, what are you going to do about your face? You know, 14-year-old boy, got little hormones going on, a little testosterone. It was everything I could do not to say something back to her. Uh, derogatory. Um, I really wanted to punch her in the face, but I knew that was wrong. And I didn't say anything because I could have my brain say, you can say these in your head, but you don't need to say them out loud. She lacked the ability to shut her mouth. You know, you can you can see something that's not there. And you, if you start to have these outbursts, it means that the frontal cortex is starting to degenerate. And so uh, that's why older people, they can say, well, you know, I'm just uh, older and I don't care anymore. No, you, you would suppress it. And so, no, those, those things are happening. Um, or you can have a parietal lobe issue where you... you, you uh, tooth pain <laughs> as we get older it's generally hey, my teeth are sensitive well there's inflammation in there and then it goes to the parietal lobe which allows you to have sensation and it starts to get there your handwriting becomes sloppier or uh, when you're looking at written word or trying to say verbal communication it gets a little bit tougher you can't recognize symbols or words or letters that's the parietal lobe that goes uh, goes down or if you used to be able to swallow anything or pills and um, now you you're, you don't want to take any pills, that can be the brainstem, that's digestion. Or, you know, I, I don't I don't have bowel movements like I used to. It used to be every time I ate, now it's once a day, once a week. Uh, those things, it breaks down. Uh, dry eyes, dry mouth, a racing heart, um, bowel or bladder incontinence. Uh, those are all in the brainstem. That's your digestive center. Or the basal ganglia, uh, indirect and direct, those are different parts of, again, Parkinson's where that typically sets up. Or... Uh, you start to have difficulty balancing or you notice that somebody looks like they're walking in like Yosemite Sam and they've been on a horse all day. That's the cerebellum. Or their back muscles tire all the time. Chronic neck issues. They're dizzy all the time. They get car sickness. They don't want to go anything. So we get um, these little forms and it kind of drives us to what we should be looking at. And with those, we also look at what's going on and how you how you function. So in the office, can you do this? Can you do that? So you could have symptoms there, but it's not there. Or you could have symptoms everywhere, and it's just blood sugar. Then we have to go fix the blood sugar. So uh, I want you just to, to be aware that these things exist and that this is what we're doing to put them together. And these are the things you should be aware of while you're listening to this podcast. Uh, I know you have a lot of podcasts you can listen to. I appreciate you looking at ours. If you like it, please like it. Please share it um, and get it out to the world because we want everybody to be healthy and happy because we know when they're healthy and happy and they feel good, they're going to be more productive. They're going to have more income and the world's going to be a safer place for all of us. And it won't be as intense as it is right now. Um, Dr. Alan Trites, great health does not have to be a mission impossible.